I want you to imagine for a second, you're just a few weeks into a new job and you're at a company-wide all-hands meeting. I don't know, about 300 people in person and who knows how many remotely. And you reveal to everyone you have ADHD. And not just that, but you also tell everybody that you see a therapist and you take prescription meds to help manage it. Do you think you could do that? Do you think that would be career suicide? Or maybe it shoots you up the corporate ladder? Or how about this? How would you feel about revealing to your future boss in the interview process that you have ADHD? Crazy? Smart? Damian Hooper Campbell, he did all those things. He's the chief impact officer at StockX. It's a popular online marketplace for like sneakers, apparel, electronics. Damien is definitely a unicorn. He's a black man sitting in a C-suite who openly talks about his ADHD. After a couple of years of us chasing each other down in our DMs, we finally had the chance to talk. The insights and resources he shares about navigating ADHD at work, it's incredible. He's a leading voice around changing company culture to be more inclusive and has made his impact at Google, Uber, eBay, Zoom, and now StockX. Also, his personal journey, getting expelled from school and masking his ADHD into his 20s, is a familiar story that I think you'll dig. Welcome to episode one of the All Day Dreaming podcast. My name is Hyla. Each week, I'll be having conversations with talented ADHD creatives and experts. All Day Dreaming is a member-only community for talented ADHD creatives looking for increased focus, better productivity, and reduced burnout. You can become a member at alldaydreaming.org. All right, let's jump into it. Enjoy my conversation with Damian Hooper Campbell. You and I have been chasing each other on Instagram for a while. <laughs> And we finally yeah. caught each other. It was like two years of like back and forth. Yeah. ADHD, right? I mean, come <laughs> on. That's what we're talking about. So it's funny. I've learned to let go of any ego when someone doesn't hit me back, especially when I'm trying to chase mm. down ADHD people. Cause I'm like, no, nah, mm -hmm. I'm the same way. You just got to hit that. <laughs> hey, friendly nudge, friendly reminder. What's up, man. It's so true. It's so true. And I have learned to communicate to people, you know, especially some of the other social platforms like Instagram isn't that bad. I don't have, you know, a million followers, but on um, another social platform, I have more folks who I'm connected with and my inbox is an abyss. And like I have this this crazy dream and fantasy that one day I'm going to take off like a week and I'm going to get up every morning and I'm just going to try to get to inbox zero and I'm going to apologize to everybody and say, hey. I've been moving fast. I just had a baby. I got ADHD. And it just is like the dream deferred that I just keep chasing. So um, I appreciate the grace and and um, appreciate when people give folks like you and I grace as well. So the funny thing about Inbox Zero, and I, I, I think I also had that like aspiration for an Inbox Zero. Mm -hmm. And then I read something. There's a fantastic book. Um called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. Hmm. I feel it should be in the canon of ADHD books, just like Driven to Distraction, because he talks about the concept of productivity from a philosophical point of view. 
but to specifically uh, uh, point out the inbox zero, he said inbox zero is a fallacy because all you're doing is a, you're just getting really good at email and every email you send out means you're going to get more back, which doesn't really make you more productive or save you more time. You just go to get good at emails. And so he's yeah, like, let that go. And that concept yeah, yeah. kind of like, oh, great. I have permission now yeah. not to hit people back. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with that. And like, because I've been on the other end of that, that trade as well, where I hit people and they don't hit me back. Like I try to show some form of empathy and compassion and I really want to get back to people. But it's, it's like I learned that, you know, later in my career when I met folks who were more senior or maybe just people who had it, what I would call right, they'd say, look, you know, when you're out of office for a few days, you get back and there's like 600 emails. I delete them all is what people would say. And like that literally <laughs> sent a jolt through my body of like, what, how could you yeah. like the world's going to end if you don't get back to them. And, and someone said to me, you know, something very relevant, which probably is aligned with what you just said, which is like, if they really need to get to you, They'll write you back. So don't worry about it. Let it go. Um, and I, I think that's been uh, empowering across a number of different aspects of dealing with um, and living with ADHD. So, yeah. When I first uh, started All Day Dreaming, it was originally um, going to be a documentary about mm -hmm. just interesting, creative people who have ADHD. And that's in my in that research is when I kind of came across your work. And you're a unicorn. You're a black man at an executive level who openly, publicly talks about his ADHD. And you also take on these roles at these companies that kind of don't exist. I I'm assuming that the the C-suite, for lack of a better term, DNI C-suite person is that club is very rare. There's not a lot of you guys doing this work. So like, what does yeah. it feel like to have such a unique position? The position in, in and of itself um, feels like a blessing. It feels like an honor, you know, to be a black man in C-suite that doesn't feel as unique. Although from a number standpoint, we're still underrepresented. It does feel somewhat unique to be open about, um, ADHD and also about my faith. I talk very openly about being, you know, a Christian and, and those are things that are important to me and part of my identity. The role itself, you know, if you asked me three years ago, pre, you know, the, the, the tragic loss of, of brother Floyd and what I would call kind of the zenith of the more recent civil rights uh, movement. If you asked me then about how rare it felt, I'd be like, wow, yeah, it feels really rare. Like I could tell you all the people who are in this space. But post uh, the loss of George Floyd, we have seen like a, a triple digit, I think LinkedIn, LinkedIn did an article, a high double digit to triple digit increase year over year um, in roles like the ones that I've been in. So whether you call them global head of DEI or chief diversity officer, you know, my latest role is um, at StockX is chief impact officer, which encompasses a broader scope than just DEI, but so it felt rare. Um, but I would say if you put all those things that you just mentioned together, it surely feels rare, but I don't know, man, like I'm, I'm so busy trying to keep up and answer emails and 
I don't even have time to realize how rare it is. It's one of those things where I don't even think about it until like my mother is like, hey, you realize what's going on? You realize, you know, some of the impact that you, you've been blessed to make and some of the seats you're blessed to sit in. And, and then I give thanks and, and stop and, and take stock of it. I want to learn a little bit. You bring up your mother. I want to learn a little bit about, yeah. you know, you coming up. Like, how old were you when you first realized you had ADHD? Was that something your parents noticed? You know, I think the stat is something around 70% of black kids are less likely to get a diagnosis or even get treatment for ADHD than white kids in school. Mm. So, like, what was your kind of journey when you realized it? Yeah, so I'll tell you when I realized it, and then I'll tell you when some other people realized it. Um, there's there's kind of levels to it. So I'm 44, um, and I was about 26 when things had kind of come to a head in my life. I was living in, in, in Park Slope in Brooklyn, and I connected with a cousin of mine who I hadn't seen in a while, and he was telling me about a therapist that he was seeing, you know, again, something that at least when I was 26, there weren't a lot of brothers walking around talking to each other about seeing therapists. And so we started talking about it. And I said, you know what, like some things going on in my world, I'd love to see a therapist. I went to go see uh, Dr. Robert Johnson um, out at Rutgers. He's the dean of um, the, the medical school there, black man who focuses on um, young adults and adolescents. And I didn't go in talking about ADHD, ADD, any of it. After our first session, he said, have you ever been tested for, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no. And we were just, we were doing what you do in that first session. Just, he was asking me questions and I'm sure he, you know, already knew where he was going, but he was picking up on some things. And I said, no, I got tested for it. Um, and he said, man, you're off the charts for this. Right. So that was kind of like <laughs> the time where like from an academic medical standpoint, I was like, oh, okay, this is me. But I will tell you that as early as, oh man, probably K through five, the um, staff and administrators in, in, in elementary school would tell my mother, I think, you know, Damien, he's smart. He's, you know, he's in uh, advanced reading and, and mathematics classes. And we think that he has, I think it was ADD. And, you know, single black mother back in the 80s when there was really, I think, a, a really negative stigma around any kind of um, learning disability or anything. She was like, oh, hell no, not my baby. Mm-mm. And so I think that others saw it, especially in the learning environment, um, but that was pushed off. And then later, I started to feel it when I went into investment banking as an analyst and was working 70 to 90 hours a week. When I went to go work in the nonprofit realm, I just felt like, why is it so hard for me to just focus in and stay here versus I'm doing 10% here, another 20% there, 30%. Do you know what I mean? And so I knew that something was up, but it didn't really come to a head until I was 26. And so you get that diagnosis at 26. What are your feelings? Mm -hmm. Hope, quite honestly. I, I just, I was really helpful, hopeful because, you know, it'd be one thing if that was my first time going to therapy, but it wasn't. 
You know, I had behavioral issues as well as a kid. I got expelled from two schools between kindergarten and first grade, right? All the while they're saying, look, this guy's really smart, but he's got to stop walking out of class in the middle of class and doing what he wants to. He's got to stop like getting into fights. He's got to stop telling the principal how he really feels about the principal. Um, And so, and then when it started to creep into my work productivity, and I couldn't understand why I was watching other people zip through stuff. And I knew I was smart and had the aptitude, but I was having a challenge. It became kind of almost like desperation quietly. And then that moment with my cousin. So when I was diagnosed, I was like, man, okay, great. So what do we do? That was my next question is what do we do and what is it going to mean for me? Um, and that's when, you know, uh, Dr. Johnson, uh, prescribed uh, Concerta um, for me. And it was right before I was also, you know, I was applying to business school and he said, look, you need something that's going to be able to last you for the full day. But that was my feeling, just hope. I was very hopeful. And so maybe there was no happy. stigma. The stigma wasn't something that you felt, especially because your mom was kind of like, no, once you got that diagnosis, it was a relief and not a stigma. Yeah, it was a relief. Now, I will say, and I haven't really unpacked this, right? So I'm processing this a little bit real time. Um, I will say that when I found out that it was a pill, a little white pill that I was going to have to take and I was going to have to go, you know, to the drugstore and get it um, and that it was an everyday thing. And then when I found out, at least back then, that like, well, this is just something you're going to be doing. There are other things you can do. To, to be more sustainable in the long term, cool. There was a bit of a stigma. There was a, oh, now I'm a person who takes a pill every single day. Now, you know, do I want people to know that I take a pill every single day? Um, but still larger than maybe that insecurity and um, uh, like near term desire to like hide it from the world was hopefulness because I knew that if it worked and if the diagnosis was correct and if the, the, the medication worked, that was going to just unlock a lot of things for me and make life better. Mm-hmm. When was the first time you felt comfortable sharing this information with your family, with work, and then publicly, ultimately publicly? Yeah. Um, with my family, you know, my dad's from Guyana. My mother is... Um, you know, um, from Jersey and, um, they, they keep it real with me, (laughs) you know, the Caribbean side will tell me when I clearly have not been in the gym. My mother tells me everything. Um, (laughs) and, and so I have the, 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 it's, I have the, the blessed fortune of having a very direct conversation with my family. They also, especially my mother has been there every step of the way when it's come to, um, some of the negative outcomes that have come from me um, having trouble focusing, having trouble just locking in, like whether that was academic, academic, um, behavioral. So it's a long way of saying that my family was no problem. I told them that. Right. Um, and I think by then they were just more curious as to what it was, the medication, et cetera. Um, the work piece didn't really come. So let's see, I graduated Um, from business school in 2009, I would say I didn't get comfortable until 
I started working in the tech industry in 2014. And by then, and so what kind of position do you have in in 2014? What's what 2014 I'm leaving finance where I was like an executive coach um, to a lot of very senior leaders and I'm in New York and I'm now packing up and moving to, um, to Google actually. And I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist. So I'm advising the CFO and the chief legal officer, and then all of their, um, reports on how to approach diversity, equity, and inclusion from a strategic standpoint. And I'm in Google. So it's my first time in tech. So I've literally traded in like suits and ties for like hoodies (laughs) and, you know, like rooms where you can sleep in the middle of the day and like free Twizzlers in the cafeteria. So you want to talk about like sensory overload? That was tech going out to Cali and, and Mountain View. So yeah, that was my role. And, and a lot so, of it was also external yeah. in the community. And so too. when mm-hmm. was the, do you remember the first time that you're revealing that you have ADHD to your boss, to your company and a, what prompted that? And what was mm-hmm. that experience like? How did you prepare to tell them? <laughs> I wish I could say that there was like a plan for it, but there wasn't. i tell you, there was an energy to your, your question around prompting it. There was an energy as I was interviewing for the role. You know, I think maybe I also thought that this pill was going to solve everything. I'm like, okay, I take this pill and it would be like limitless, like the movie and like, voila, and I'd just be good to go. That's not the case. You obviously still have to put in your own effort. The pill is just, you know, it's, it's an aid, essentially. And so... I had now had a couple of professional roles after business school and was still seeing, oh, so there's some things that could be a little bit different, but I still haven't revealed in the industry that I was in. So now moving into tech, I'm like, you know what? I hear tech is like people with purple hair and you can bring your dog with you to work and all the cool things. You know what? Like, Let me see if they really want me. Let me like pressure test this. So I actually revealed it to the person who would become my manager um, in the interview process. And it wasn't like the first one. You know, I think I had probably six or seven interviews. But when we circled back and I had met, you know, the interview team, I went back and I said, hey, I just want you to also know I want to be up front that you know, I have ADHD. I take medication for it every single day. Here are some of the things, here's what that means. And, um, I just wanted to understand how that lands on you. Um, but also to say that this is how I might work and does that work for you too? So, so, and it just was, I was just fed up. So it wasn't like a big plan. I didn't rehearse it. I just said, if we're going to do this and we're going to make this change, let's do it all the way. And let's do it in a way where I know you want me for who I am. So in the interview process, you're basically saying, this is how I work. I can be an asset mm-hmm. to you, but it's got to be within these parameters. Kind of like it again, it wasn't that prescriptive because I think even to this day, I'm figuring out how I can be an asset based on, you know, um, having ADHD. What I knew for sure was that I was not always going to be the most organized individual that I knew for sure that I wasn't a project manager um, and I needed them to know that. And yes, to your point, I did know that 
if it comes to engaging with other human beings, if it comes to being creative, if it comes to like brainstorming, even strategy, I'm most certainly your guy, internal and external. Um, but in terms of the operational execution, that's something I'm going to have to work a little bit harder at. And the structure, structure, structure is actually good for me, but it isn't always something um, that I'm going to adhere to. So, yeah, I knew that, but I didn't know like specific parameters. I'm still figuring that out. And what was their response? They were perfectly fine. And in fact, um, my manager, and I'm going to shout her out, Nilka Thomas, um, who I believe is now over at Lyft. Nilka was, she was just so welcoming. It was almost like, she didn't make a big deal of it. She was like, yeah, mm-hmm, okay, that's fine. And as I went to go then work there for the next year at Google, I realized, you know, Nilka and I actually worked really good together because Nilka was all over the place doing a million different things, but she had this beautiful mind that I could understand. And it was almost like that inbox, right? That inbox that we talk about, like, I wouldn't always hear right back from Nilka, but I always knew that Nilka had my back. And because I was the same way, it actually worked perfectly. And then I got there and they had a group that at the time was called the Special Needs Network. And it was an ERG that was focused on um, on people with disabilities and family members, you know. So it wasn't just people who had disabilities, but it might have been people who were married to people with disabilities or people who were parents of. So it was that whole community that was just like what other people might call weird we call normal, we call family. So come on in, you know? So it was that, I mean, it wasn't perfect. I wasn't perfect. I still had some bumps, but I didn't feel ostracized. Yeah. Well, what do you say to someone? Because one of the things I hear very often is I'm afraid to tell my boss, I'm afraid to tell my coworkers (laughs) cause it's going to hurt me at work. It's going to prevent me from getting a promotion or getting on that, you know, big gig job project that I want. What do you say to someone like that? What I say to them is first, like, that's a real feeling. I got to validate that. I can't invalidate it. That is a real feeling. It's easy for me to tell you, Oh, don't worry about that. Forget it. That's a bunch of BS. It's a real feeling, but I would almost ask that person to um, do a little bit of visualization and to close their eyes and to think a year out, six months out, in that job where they haven't disclosed this, they haven't talked about what their needs are. They have put on the mask that we put on so many times as human beings and have just um, put on a mask that they think the employer wants. And six months down the line, they haven't changed. And the real them actually starts to rear its face in the form of ADHD. And now you're having to compensate. Now you're having to cover. Now you're having to use all of that mind share that you would be using just to be who you are and to contribute because you didn't keep it real. So a couple of things. One, you're underperforming. Two, you're having to overproduce and overcompensate. And three, you've done a bait and switch on your employer. I'd say to them the same way that you don't want somebody telling you showing you a glossy brochure of, oh, look at this wonderful, beautiful place to work and everybody's so happy. And then you get there and find out that it's toxic AF. You're going to be pissed. Don't do that to other people and don't set yourself up for it. And the last thing I would say is it's better that you know now if you can be you than to find out later that you can't be you 
and you have nobody else to blame except yourself. And I just think that that's a, I can say it to somebody, Hila, but it's kind of one of those very personal, like professional and personal maturity stages that you get to where you're just like, I got to tell you now because it won't be good for either one of us if I don't tell you. Mm-hmm. So you would recommend to someone, and I understand that every scenario is different, but you feel mm-hmm. it's in everyone's benefit to maybe talk about that in the interview process or right after getting hired. What is your, what's your sense of, of, of how to approach something like that? I'm going to give you an answer that's going to sound political, but it's not. And that is that it depends. The first thing you should be doing is researching the hell out of whatever organization you're going to work for to see, like, what is that culture about? Do they have an ERG or a benefits team that actually focuses on these things? You look at certain companies now, and we're not necessarily talking about ADHD, but we could be talking about other, um, you know, um, things that 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 uh, one would classify as um, a disability. And there are companies that actually run towards people who have those disabilities. They say, we welcome you into this building. Maybe what you should be doing on the front end is, is making sure that you're solving for a company that actually welcomes those things and doesn't, and doesn't have a culture where people have to hide them. That's number one. But like, if you're junior in your career, I can understand that just hearing somebody say, nah, you should tell somebody in the middle of the interview, you know, depending on who you are like your socioeconomic group, you might not have the luxury to not get that job. Your family might be depending on you straight out of undergrad if you even went to college. And so I can't front and act like, oh, everybody just be free. A lot of that depends on where you are in your life, how comfortable you are saying it, and what the company is. What I will tell you, though, is that the more senior I have gotten, me having that conversation on the front end has led to, oh, well, let's make sure you get an executive assistant. <laughs> Game changer. You mean there's somebody who's going to help me make sense of what is all going on in my mind that comes out in this output that sometimes isn't super productive? Beautiful. Or when I say it in an interview, I can then name it later on. So so I don't have a one-size-fits-all prescription for folks. Um, the last thing I would say is that it depends on the severity of of how you're affected by it, right? There are some people for whom you and I would never know whatsoever. I'm probably in my, this is not a diagnosis, this is a self-diagnosis, not not a medically informed one. I think I'm kind of like middle of the road. Same. Where, yeah, where it highly functioning, but there's gonna be some times and some <laughs> patterns that you start to see over a period of time. And you're gonna mm-hmm. be like, hmm, one of these people is not like the other. So, yeah, yeah. that's my answer. This is really interesting. You mentioned an executive assistant. What Mm -hmm. are some resources, entry, you know, middle, C-suite, wherever you kind of land on the org chart, what are some resources that are completely reasonable to ask for, to maybe expect that a lot of people don't think to even ask for those things? Yeah. I mean, a couple of them I've mentioned, right? Like ask if there's an ERG or an affinity group at the organization that's focused and sorry, ERG stands for employee resource group in the spirit of inclusion. Um, but ask if, is, is there oftentimes companies these days 
at the very least have employee resource groups focused on women's communities or on the LGBTQ plus community or on the black community, Latinx community, whatever it may be. Um, and I think some of the more um, developed and advanced companies also have them focused on people with disabilities, right? And people from different walks of life. So I'd ask about that because that's a one that's a community of other human beings. It's not just a, you know, resource. It's a resource, but it's like real human beings. Um, so that's one. The second is I'd be talking, I'd be asking about benefits. A lot of times when we ask about benefits, we are asking about, um, you know, especially in tech where we're asking about um, benefits and compensation, total rewards, like bonus structures. And am I going to get equity? And And obviously, like, you know, what insurance, you know, platform are you using, et cetera. But like, ask about therapy. Is it something where they're um, allowing me a certain number of uh, sessions with a therapist? And then after that, I have to pay. Is it unlimited? Are you, you know, who is the healthcare provider that you use? Do they actually give me the ability to put in a profile that says, I'd really like a therapist of color, I'd like somebody of this gender, somebody of this, you know, sexual orientation, somebody who specializes in X, Y, and Z, and then you get matched, or is it a one size fits all? That's also going to be really interesting. Can you, if you do take medication, do they have a program where your medication can be delivered to you? I can't tell you how many times I've totally screwed myself because I waited for my prescription to run out. And then I called my doctor, I couldn't go in and see her, call my doctor and or I procrastinated, right? Like the first day I'm like, oh, I'm good. And then ADHD, I procrastinate. You look up, it's three days later and all of the like bad things are happening. And then I'm in a dire strait. And that largely was because I knew I would need to have to get in the car, go to the drugstore and pick it up. But like Certain companies have a delivery service. So so the second is is benefits, um, like what's actually available, especially, you know, around uh, therapy. And yes, to the extent that um, you are in a stage of your career where having an assistant, having a project manager on your team, if organization is, you know, project management and organizational um, uh, uh, structure and, and rigor is a challenge for you. Well, guess what? I mean, we don't all have to be experts at everything. Like we kind of can plug some of the things where we need developmental, you know, that are developmental opportunities. So ask about it. Right. It can't hurt you to ask. So those are the things I'd be looking for. A couple other things I want to throw out that I've heard from people in the all day dreaming community is think about where you sit. You know, mm -hmm. we're all figuring out hybrid work from home. Are yep. you better when there's a ton of people around or are you better alone? Do you uh, tap into your focus and concentration at 8 a.m. or 8 p.m.? You know, maybe there's some yep. flexibility on when you're available online. And even things as simple as like noise canceling headphones or, um, you know, hey, pay for my Headspace app. You know, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like if a if a manager is doing their job and they can get more out of you by just like helping you with a couple of resources, it's a no brainer for them to do it. Totally. And I, I love that you you brought those in because it, it prompted something else, because I think there's some things that you try to solve for in advance 
And then there's some things that you do once you start, which I call contracting, right? And it sounds like a legal term, but I don't necessarily mean it that way. But it's something as simple as when you send a note at this time on the weekend, do you expect me to get back to you? Or what is the, excuse me, what is the most efficient way for you to communicate? And one of my last, you know, leadership positions, I had my whole team fill out uh, a spreadsheet that actually said, here's how I prefer to communicate, you know, text or don't talk to me on social media because I don't want you in my inbox of social media (laughs) or text works or Slack works or chat works, but it really bothers me here or distracts me here. So that's one of the other things that you should be doing. If you're the manager, you should be contracting with your team about what works best for you and works, what works best for them. And if you're not the manager, I think you should ask your manager to contract on those things and make sure that they know what works best for you, obviously within reason and vice versa. One last thing I want to point out is that ADHD Mm -hmm. falls under the disabilities act. So there are some protections, legal ones as well to, um, to think about. Okay. So we talked about someone who's trying to get a job or working in a place and revealing Mm -hmm. they have ADHD to their boss. Let's go to the other side of the chair. Someone who maybe just doesn't get it, they don't understand, or they don't know how to utilize that person or set them up for success. What are you telling that person? The first thing I'm trying to tell them is something that helps them to understand. Let's say they don't understand. If you don't understand, if you can't either sympathize or empathize, if I just give you something prescriptive around, we'll do this, that, and the third, you might do it to be compliant, but I want you to do it because you feel me. And so the analogy that I often give around at least how it affects me, and again, this affects everybody differently, is like, look, imagine your whole house is dirty and you start cleaning in the kitchen and you're in the kitchen, you're making good progress, but then all of a sudden you see a sock. Now, don't ask me how the sock got in the kitchen. But you see a sock and you're like, that belongs in the bedroom. Instead of just like creating a pile in the kitchen for stuff that doesn't belong in the kitchen and I'm going to get to it when I'm done, my mind says, oh, let me stop. Take this sock to the bedroom. I take the sock to the bedroom. The kitchen's only 20% done. Now I'm in the bedroom. The bedroom's dirty. Oh, let me start cleaning the bedroom. Now I see something that belongs in the bathroom. Go to the bathroom. I see something, right? So ultimately... The house will get clean. Did it get cleaned in a streamlined and efficient manner? Absolutely not. Did it take maybe twice as long? Absolutely. And so one, I would try to see if that lands with them. Hopefully that's like accessible enough that everybody gets that. And if it does, then I would say, so think about the work that you have, right? And and think about what that might mean. That might mean that somebody needs to have projects or to be in an environment where what you're telling them is, here's the end goal of what I want to get to. I really want a clean house and I want it clean and I want it to smell like pine saw at the end of the day. And here's when I need it done by. But what I'm not going to do is tell you how you need to do it or that you need to do this room first and that one. I want you to be creative. I think you'll actually come up with a better outcome if you're just creative. Be free. But here's the non-negotiable, right? So what you're doing is you're providing a little bit of structure. 
you're being really clear about what it is that you expect on the outcome, but you're giving them that freedom to be creative. So that's one thing I would say. And then the other thing, and, and these at the end of the day, as you're, you're hearing them, these are things that we should just be doing regardless whether you have ADHD or not. But very important, I think, for people with ADHD is I would be having clear and frequent check-ins on how is it going and what do you need at the end of the day? Because um, for a lot of folks, I think with ADHD, depending on the role, like you're still finding things out that work for you and don't work for you. So what you contracted on on day one may be different than what you need on day 90 or different than what you need by year number two. So Again, given that like latitude for creativity, celebrating it, inviting it in, um, and actually leveraging that person when team culture gets a little stale. The energy that's there, the spontaneity that's there, um, I think very specifically for many folks with ADHD can actually be a great asset. Yeah, it's a tricky thing to place, but once you understand how you can utilize someone, it can be a great asset. Mm -hmm. You know, we love stimulation. We love new things. Having someone, for example, starting new projects all the time and maybe handing them off to yeah. someone could be one way. Um, big, lofty, crazy ideas, the brainstorm, <laughs> you know, That's right. that can be like there are so many ways you can place someone that it is a skill set that a lot of other people in the office do not have. And if you That's know right. you can tap into that, that just makes you look like a rock star manager. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's like. It's like a symphony orchestra, right? Like, you know, this person's really good here and you know, this person's going to come in with this other instrument, but together it's going to be a masterpiece. So, and that's why I'm saying it really gets down to managers and leaders understanding the people they have, recognizing it's not one size fits all and figuring out how to make that mosaic work together. No doubt. I think everything you said is, is is spot on. So let's talk a little bit. What's interesting, when I was trying to find executives with ADHD, it was really hard. Mm. And especially women. Mm. The few executive women that I spoke to didn't want to speak publicly because they're like, I, nah, I'm not trying to bring that spotlight on me. Right. I already yeah. have it hard yeah. enough. So it's a little bit of this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy where it's underrepresented. Yeah. It exists but it's hard to find people to talk about it. So yeah, I, yeah, I'd love to hear you just kind of speak on that a little bit and like mm -hmm. what you're doing specifically at a place like StockX to kind of change the culture and make it inviting. And if that culture doesn't exist at someone's company, uh, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, this is a bit of a blueprint you can share with them. Yeah. And, you know, it's worth noting because you asked earlier about like, when did I start? speaking publicly about it. I think there's two layers of being public. And this answers the question about StockX, but even how I've led to what I'm what I do at StockX and and how I bring it to bear, which is just like the first public for me beyond that interview was then talking to my teammates about it and being okay with it and being very proud. And people would be like, wow. And I say, yeah, I talk about it because it's changed my life. Right. So part of it is like vocalizing it, but telling people that if you are proud about it, I don't want to, it's got to be authentic that I'm proud to talk about it because it's something that's improved me, right? Taking medication, getting a diagnosis, seeing a therapist about it. And then what started to happen, and this is something that I do at StockX is like, 
and in company all employee meetings or I remember one company you know the first three months I was literally traveling around the world to the global locations and I forgot or, or my bags actually got um, misplaced for four days and like a I, this was me learning, pack your medication in your carry-on. And so I didn't have my medication for four days. And like one or two days, I'm good. But by the fourth, I was like somewhere else. And I got up on stage in front of 300 employees and I said, look, I'm here with you. But if you see me like rambling a little bit, just know it's because I have ADHD. Uh, you know, I told them the story about my bags being gone and 30 minutes after the session was done, I'm back up at, you know, whatever desk I was sitting at for the day. And an employee came up, didn't know this person, but they had been in the audience. And they said, hey, one, I really appreciate you sharing that. Like, I haven't really seen a leader do that publicly. And two, I also have ADHD. I also take the same medication. I have something. I have, you know, an, uh, a pill if, if it's helpful to you. His um, his dosage was was different than mine, so I, I didn't do that. But what I'm trying to explain and what I've been trying to do for the five months where I've been at StockX is it's not some big initiative, right? We have an amazing benefits team that offers therapy. We have a CEO who, you know, historically has sat on the board of nonprofits that focus on uh, mental health and well-being. And so he's already built that way, which means the culture is. But in every single employee or we call, you know, our, our folks team members and every single team member facing conversation where it's appropriate, I talk about it. And so, Hila, what 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 I'm saying is I think the best way to establish that kind of culture is for the people who many people look to to set the pace. And I, I mean that in the humblest of ways. For us to be real human beings, for us not to always have to show up like everything's perfect and we don't have stuff going on in our lives. And so that's what I'm doing. And and I have gotten lots of feedback from people where they've said, I really appreciate you talking about that. I have this or there's this. And at some point, we're going to create an employee resource group that is focused on on people you know, with disabilities. And we're going to celebrate this. We just did a what we call a candid conversation. Um, for an hour long to, to talk about disability pride awareness month. So not just having a disability, but how do you move from disability awareness and understanding to actually the pride in it, right? And what it means to, to, um, to have a disability and how it makes you unique. So we're having that conversation and educating people as well as doing some of the day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah. The bridge from ADHD is working against me to ADHD is working for me where you kind of crack mm. the code and you figure out, Oh, this is how I use it. Doesn't mean every day is easy, but I've figured out how to use it so I can have a career, so I can have a relationship, so I can be a good father. Mm -hmm. Do you remember crossing over that bridge? Do you remember when it kind of clicked and you cracked the code and you're like, aha, I think I kind of know how I can use this to make a life. Hmm. I don't know that there was one moment and I don't know that I always was the one realizing it. I think it's been a collection 
of like these micro moments. And I've looked back and said, oh, this is when I've been in flow. This is, you know, when I've been doing something that I feel like I'm really good at, something that I'm really passionate about and something that other people value. And for me, that has typically come in creative realms within kind of this corporate arena. So create that could be everything from like creating the dopest PowerPoint slides <laughs> that are like that leap off the page and don't feel super corporate and don't have a lot of words, but they bring in, you know, my background as a, as an artist growing up. Right. And so it's creativity. It could be the spreadsheets and models that I'm building and like having a banner that's colored here, but then highlighted there. But that actually is a differentiator when people are trying to sort through all of those numbers. It also has oftentimes been, when I'm presenting or when I'm literally or figuratively on a stage and I'm trying to get other human beings to like lay down their biases or lay down, you know, their prejudices and to love each other, the way in which I engage or the energy that I bring or like the spontaneity and, and being able to, oh, my slides just dropped and the projector's not working, so let's just do a little bit of stand-up and kick it and have a good time. Those are the things that I think have helped to differentiate um, me in the spaces that I've been in. So, and, and I'll be honest with you, it wasn't just one moment. It was a collection of those moments, but then also people playing back to me, hey, I really appreciated the way that you did X, Y, and Z, and then me linking it and saying, oh, yeah, I think that that has to do with, with that. The one other thing that I have realized is, and I imagine this is my ADHD, right? Because I'm the guy who, like, when I'm studying, I can't do it in a quiet place. Mm. Like, when I'm reading, I need, I want some music playing. I might want to be sitting in a park, Union Square Park, and having a million people pass me. That's when I can focus. I'm like, oh, we can lock in, Right. When it comes to solving problems and trying to do the impossible, either um, when the constraints or resources are, um, uh, you know, are, 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 are not in abundance, when the constraints are in abundance or the resources are not in abundance or when time is of the essence and like other people are looking around like there's no way we can do that. It's almost like this like Tetris thing that happens in my head. And it's like, nope, this here, this here. Yep, yep. I'm going to call the Uber here. I'm going to have the Uber deliver this. We're going to get this printed here. I'm going to ask this person to do that. And it all just comes together. And it's not a skills. And I think this is where I'll stop. I think actually that that is a muscle that has been built over the years, probably pre diagnosis from procrastinating mm -hmm. and having to, at the very last minute, figure out how to get it done. And so it, for, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. You get into crunch time, you've procrastinated probably because of the ADHD, but that same thing that made you procrastinate is the same thing that's helping you to be creative and pull all this stuff together. And that now becomes a resource, especially when I'm diagnosed and, 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 and doing something to help myself, now that muscle's like, ooh, let's use this to inspire other people to believe that we can get this done in this period of time. So 
those are the things and and that's and they've come over a period of time does that answer your question 100 percent. i i love that that is that is money that's great uh you mentioned you take concerta um other tools that people use and techniques meditation sleep diet exercise can you just give me a sense of what your routine looks like when you feel you're you're most productive and focused well that sleep thing you know at 44 years old um that sleep thing is is very very real so sleep is by far number one the second one is um is exercise um exercise has been crazy important to me when i actually do it the diet goes right along with that um i would also say you know meditation and sometimes for me that's prayer um you know at one point i was doing um, a good deal of chanting it's something that i want to get back into um, you know, in, in kind of the Buddhist way of life. And, and I found that to be very, very centering. The other thing I would say is just the energy that you have around you. You know, it's, it's become cliche to say protect your energy. But man, you, there are energizers and de-energizers. And, you know, the, the, the older I get, the more intentional I am being about having energizers around me. Um, versus the de-energizers. Because on my own, I'm going to run myself ragged. I need some people who are pouring into me. Um, And then the other thing I would say um, is learning to say no, right? I've got a big heart. I love helping people. Um, I'm not the most organized person. Time management is not great. Um, And so learning to say no and not always needing to give like this, like, detailed reason for why you're saying no, but just saying, Hey, I'm sorry, I can't maybe another time, or I'm sorry, I can't, but good luck with what you're doing. Um, also is very, very helpful. This is one of the filters that I always tell people to run through. It's the yes, no filter. When you say yes to something, Mm. you're saying no to other things and you have to recognize Mm. that. If you're saying, yes, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to binge Game of Thrones. Well, then you're saying like (laughs) no to uh, a good relationship, you know, with your toddler because they're going to test you and you're not going to have that patience or whatever it is. It's so important to to run the the yes, no um, filter. Uh, Okay, so a couple minutes left here. Uh, You work at StockX. Uh, it feels a little sexier than eBay and, uh, and zoom. I don't know how many people were hitting you up for, you know, free zoom downloads, but I, I, I would imagine that the phone rings a little bit differently now that you're at StockX. A little different, a little different. Yeah. Yeah. But it's look, it's a blessing. I've been a customer of the company since a couple of months after, um, they launched in, or we launched in 2016. And, you know, I purchased almost a hundred pair of kicks on uh, StockX over the years. Hundreds? I love the culture. Hundred, hundreds of shoes? One, 100 shoes. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, are you, yeah. are you wearing them? Are they still in plastic? So, okay. You're clearly nah, a sneakerhead. Nah, nah. Fam. I'm, I, so I'm a sneakerhead in that I love fashion, creativity. I see it as an expression of like art. I couldn't afford them. My mother and I couldn't afford them when I was a kid. So I probably overcompensate much to the, to, to my wife's dismay. (laughs) Um, and I have hundreds of pairs. I bought a hundred on StockX, but you know, 
I've been collecting longer than that. And sometimes I get, you know, directly from, from retail. Um, that said, like I wear my kicks. Okay. I'm not one of these people, no shade to people who like worship them in a box or in a case. I wear my kicks and, um, yeah, so StockX is a dream for me. Are, it's also, are there yeah. any that are yeah. like saved or protected? Like it's just strictly fashion. I'm just trying to look fly and have clean shoes every week. There there are some that like I open the box. If I'm going to go to like an event or I'm going out and I'm like, nah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. It's not It's not special enough. This, this is not special enough. I got to put you back. And I talk to them. I talk to them. They're, you know, they have personality, but I have a pair of, of uh, Lanvin gallery department, the collab they did, and the, the curbs that are splattered with paint on the front, and the, the, the laces are, are like bows, like ribbons. And every time I think I'm ready, I just put them back in the box, man. So <laughs> I'm going to rock them. But no, but, but StockX has been a dream, you know, founded in the city of Detroit. Detroit is like, such a dope city that I feel like too many people um, don't have the 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 accurate picture of. And so just being able to do community there, the people at StockX globally are dope. Our, our CEO is is a beast. Um, and so I'm just, you know, I'm thrilled to be at the company. And I'll just say this as well. And I'm sorry to go back to the question, but you, you had said, you know, things that that um, the, the the previous question where I was saying like, you know, you me figuring out what the advantages were and and or things. Oh, sorry. The previous question was about like sleep and diet and all that. One of the other things that I do from time to time is I don't take my medication. And, yeah, same. you know, I'll have a day or two where intention. Sometimes it's intentional. We're like, I'm like, nope, I'm not. Other times. It is, I forgot, and I know that if I take it like after one o'clock, I'm going to be up all night. Um, and I lean into that. And to be very transparent, today is one of those days where I forgot this morning to take it. I was with my wife headed to this conference and I forgot to take it. I came back to the hotel for some work meetings and I said, you know what? I'm not going to take it for this conversation because one of the upsides of ADHD is I feel like it allows me to be much more authentic and who I really am. Um, I think I'm a more spontaneous and fun and creative person. And sometimes the medication does curve that a little bit. And so today I just wanted to show up, you know, fully, fully as Damien, who, who Damien is with all the imperfections and perfections and the, the journey. So I just wanted to make sure that I shared that as well, my brother. I appreciate that. I am also not taking Adderall at the moment. I find that when there's kind of like high energy, high stress situations, it almost makes mm. it worse. If mm. I'm like on set, if I'm in the field shooting docu documentary, if I have to sit down and talk to yeah. someone like you, it almost elevates yeah. me too much. I kind of reserve that Adderall when I know I need that like gasoline yeah. in the engine. Um, That's right. Yeah, totally. That's right. I'm with you. Man, mm -hmm. I am so glad that we connected. Um, this has been a, a super rad conversation. I actually have a million more questions. Um, just because uh, I want to get into your creativity. I want to get into your brain a little yeah. bit more. I, I, I have a sense that you have really thoughtful 
um, opinions and, and philosophies just around other stuff around life that is what makes ADHD people so interesting. So maybe we'll do a part two mm -hmm. in a few months if you're, if you're down. You know I'm down. Okay. You know I'm down. I appreciate I appreciate the space. I appreciate what you're doing for the community, just raising awareness, educating, demystifying, but also even the gems you dropped today about um, other things that you've heard other people do to set themselves up for success in, in, in their lives. I appreciate it. So I've learned a little bit as well. So thank you, fam. Thanks so much to Damian Hooper Campbell, Chief Impact Officer at StockX. This interview is part of a series that we're doing with Billboard.com and a collaboration with people in and around music with ADHD. All Day Dreaming is a member-only community for talented ADHD creatives who want better focus, better productivity, and want to reduce their burnout. You can become a member by going to alldaydreaming.org.